This is the Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Show on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Awesome to have you join us today. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. Doing here on air what I do in my day job at Texas Sport and Spine, and that's talk about different injuries. Maybe it's to your hip, knee, back, shoulder that is occurring to your favorite player in the NBA, Major League Baseball, hockey, uh, football, you name it. Man, we're talking about this in news. We are a sports entertainment show with a sports medicine niche. I am joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the... Sports broadcaster for Grand Canyon University. He's been doing that for a couple of decades. And Ferris, it is great to have you on the show today. Got a lot to talk about, as always, in the sports medicine world. Yeah, absolutely. A lot in the sports medicine world, a lot in the NBA, NFL trades going on. And, of course, you know, college basketball. It's uh, coming down to March Madness. Yes, Pretty exciting times. Yeah, the best time. If you are a college basketball fan, not a better time than March uh, to be a college basketball fan. So, yeah, very excited about that. Big story we'll be talking about in our first segment on Docs and Jocks, talking about Zion Williamson, the great uh, star for Duke, probably going to be uh, He's back. the number one pick. He is back, baby, and is he ever. What a game against Syracuse <laughs> he just had. We're going to have on a couple wonderful guests, and those guests are going to be Coach Ron Wolforth. He has been on Docs and Jocks previously. He's probably the premier uh, baseball throwing guru. He's uh, with Texas Baseball Ranch, as well as Coach Mike Ryan, who uh, does Fastball USA, longtime friend of Docs and Jocks. They're going to be talking about a new recent Chaos 101 instructional hitting video they just put together, which is amazing. Talking about all the different aspects of how you get better and how you challenge yourself as a baseball player. You use a lot of dynamic uh, kind of chaos. and That means a great name, Chaos 101, when you watch the video. So those guys will be coming on talking about that. We'll also have on former Super Bowl champion and former NFL long snapper Justin Snow. Justin was with the Indianapolis Colts as well as the Washington Redskins. Well, he's going all around the country now doing training as well as open up his own training uh, facility in Indianapolis. Catch up with Justin Snow, who's been a good friend of Docs and Jocks as well. Remember, our best friends here on Docs and Jocks are our wonderful listeners, and you guys can catch our show anytime, anywhere by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, uh, as far as D-O-X-N-J-O-X is our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, as well as you can get you on our our iTunes podcast and listen to us anywhere, anytime. If you're not catching us on one of our SB Nation, a nationally syndicated radio stations, you can catch us on our iTunes podcast. Remember, you can send me your question at docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Ask Dr. Dan, send me your question. We'll get those on air. We'll be right back with your sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks. This is the Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Dr. Dan coming from inside the Docs and Jocks radio studio here inside the Forge Abilene training facility. Man, if you ever want to find out about Forge Abilene, go to ForgeAbilene.com. Man, it's a great place. If you're not exercising, it's because you're not listening to Docs and Jocks, and we're telling you all the benefits of exercise, man. Lots of incredible studies come out have shown that uh, if you do strength training, some type of cardio training, some type of aerobic training routinely, you will be a much better off person, not only in your quantity of life, but also in your quality of life. So find a place like the Forge Abilene. And if you're in our listening audience here in the uh, Texas area, man, I'd love to have you be part of the ForgeAbilene.com. Check it out, man. 
So, Ferris, I thought we'd jump right in before we have our uh, first interview with Coach Ron Wolforth and Coach Mike Ryan talking about Chaos 101. In the next segment, we talk about the biggest sports medicine news in the story was Zion Williamson's uh, comeback after he had the uh, infamous shoe blowout. Uh, if you didn't see it, you haven't been watching the sports uh, world at all because Zion Williamson against uh, North Carolina, his shoe blew out and he sprained his medial collateral ligament. So when you say uh, he sprained his knee, your medial collateral ligament is the ligament on the inside of your knee that stabilizes your lower leg from going out away from the midline. In other words, your foot going out away from your body while your knee goes in towards the midline. That stressing of that uh, knee ligament, medial collateral ligament, can be different grades. And luckily, he uh, apparently had a pretty low grade, probably grade one, that took him about four weeks to come back from. He makes his debut last night, Ferris, and I'm just going to let you uh, determine whether or not you think this was a good game. He goes uh, 13 of 13 with 29 points and 14 rebounds. Not a bad start to his career back with uh, Duke. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I don't think he missed a shot either, right? Like no, he, 13 he was of just 13, like, man. Yeah, he was on fire, man. Yeah. He said, uh, for the people that think I should stop playing in college, dot, 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 thanks, but no thanks. So Zion Williamson's stock for me has just gone up because he's a yep. dude that apparently thinks that uh, there is some team loyalty and there's a reason that you should be out there trying to do your thing and get better in playing college basketball before the NBA. There's been this whole long story about, well, he hurt his knee. Should he stay out or should he not play based on him having the sprain of his medial collateral ligament? It's too big a risk for his long-term you know, finances, his long-term college career, his long-term NBA career. If he's in playing college, he should just go straight to the NBA and sit out the rest of the college career. I, I think that's absolutely ludicrous, and I'm glad he's playing for Duke, and they had a great game against Syracuse where he goes 13 for 13, 14 rebounds, 29 points. The only thing he missed the entire game was a couple of free throws. But there was a moment in the game, and he, by the way, I, did, I didn't see any sign of a limp. I didn't see any sign of an adverse reaction to his knee. <laughs> no, I didn't see not at all. Yeah, I didn't, in fact, he had at one point in time in the game, he gets tripped by uh, Syracuse player Frank Howard, and there's a real question whether or not this is a trip, and I'm going to get your take on this, Ferris. He, uh, Frank Howard, uh, Zion Williams is running by, and he puts his foot out, pulls his toe up, and Zion Williams trips over that. And he didn't. If you were had a, had a still symptomatic medial collateral ligament, that's how you would re-aggravate it, and it didn't seem like it bothered him at all. So there's been a lot of uh, Twitter. Twitter world going off on whether or not Frank Howard tripped him and trying to re-injure Zion Williamson. What was your take on that? Did you think it was a trip? Did you think it was just a pure accidental, uh, coincidental injury or, or trip? Or what did you think it was? You know, I I find it really hard to believe that anybody's actually trying to hurt anybody out there. I think a lot of times it's a natural reaction. When a guy goes by you, you kind of stick out a leg, you stick out something. Not a lot in basketball, though, so I get why people are questioning it, but but no. I mean, I, I think it's 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 very rare. We've seen it a couple times in the NBA, you know, with guys getting kind of squirrely, and it's like, oh, that dude's trying to hurt the guy or trying to, you know, kick him or something. But, I mean, most, most of the time it's just an inadvertent thing, you know. I mean, they're going hundreds of miles an hour, and... And, and, and they're just trying to trying to defend. So I, I'd be shocked if it was intentional. But I don't know. What did you think about it? I first saw it. I thought it was intentional because the way he pulled his toe up and stuck his foot out. I mean, yeah. it could have been. And there was, a, and like you said, there is a reactionary component to somebody running by you like that. It's just so I don't know if he did it thoughtfully with premeditation and all that kind of stuff. But I think just in the spur of the moment, this guy's running by him. He puts his foot out. He pulls his toe up and, and tries to catch him. Yeah. So. You're, you definitely fall in the group, uh, both Frank Howard and uh, Beheim have both uh, openly and uh, loudly said that, that he was innocent, that he did not do the tripping of Zion Williamson. Yeah, I, I don't think you would go out into a game trying to trip Zion Williamson, the best player in college basketball right now, if if 
you're doing that on purpose. Obviously, you should be penalized. But I just I find it hard to believe that there's premeditation that he was trying to purposely hurt him. Yeah, and if you if you know if if the guy's got a past history of that type of stuff, I, I can't remember who it was in the NBA that would do it like two or three times. He would do things, and then he would always say, "No, no, no, it was an accident." Like the third time, like, "Okay, that dude's trying to hurt <laughs> trip people, right?" Yeah. I mean, but if there's no back history in it, and I mean, Bayheim's teams don't have a history of that, so I mean. I, it might have been just a quote unquote, you know, no pun intended, knee jerk reaction. Yeah, there was a guy for the Spurs one time. Uh, I was watching the game as Bowman, I think was his name. And uh, yeah, Bruce Bowman. Bruce Bowman. Bowen? Bowen. Bruce Bowen. Bowen. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. And I saw him openly, purposefully trip Michael Finley going down the court for the Dallas yep. Mavericks. Kicked his foot over and tripped him. And it was back in the backcourt, and the play had already moved into the front court. It was on fast break, and he did it. And, and Finley. Turns around after he did it, gets up and basically pushes and gets ready to punch him. And it finally gets the technical and Bowen's Bowen, Bowen, like, I'm not doing anything, you know, does the whole thing. And yeah, so yeah. finally got the T on him. It's- Bowen was one of the best defensive players ever in the NBA because he was freaking dirty. He yeah. cheated. He used to do that against the Suns <laughs> all the time. It drove us crazy in yeah. Phoenix. I'm sure it drove the Mavericks fans crazy. And they'd say, oh, he's such a tough, hard nosed player. Yeah, he cheats. <laughs> but he got away with it, so he yeah. kept doing it, pushing the limits, you know. There's a portion of uh, you're really good if you can get underneath the other person's skin. There is something about that that allows you to be a good defender because if you can make them think about you, they're not thinking about playing basketball. So that's Oh, what, yeah. Yeah, the really good defenders have a, have a knack at getting underneath their skin. Hey, the one thing I did uh, find for Zion Williamson last night, I've seen him play a lot, and I just am amazed that a guy that big is that athletic. He went up for a missed rebound, so he is on the left side of the basket. The ball is shot from the right right uh, corner. The ball goes up in the air on the rebound. He catches it up in the air with his left hand and shoots a left-handed bank shot back in the basket all in one fluid motion. I mean, for a athletic point guard to do that is one thing. But for a guy as big as Zion Williamson to be able to catch a one-handed, and he's right-handed, catch a one-handed off-the-board rebound in the air, have the finesse to get it back up and into the basket is absolutely stunning, man. I, I think the guy's athleticism is is something to behold because he's that big and that athletic. You know, it, it's interesting. I mean, I see him on the court, and there's other big guys around him, and he is—he still looks big, right? But he doesn't really pop out that much, yeah. except for he has thickness. I saw him walking around in street clothes, like coming to one of the games in street clothes around just normal people. <laughs> the guy's huge. Yeah, he's monstrous. Yeah, you don't realize how big the Shaquille O'Neals, the Zion Williamson's, you don't realize how big they are in person until you see them around regular Joes. We're Even the NBA. little guys yeah. in the NBA. Yeah. Like Steve Nash was a little guy. He's like seven inches taller than me. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. The little point guards are like six two. Yeah, so it's just amazing how how good those guys are. But his athleticism, and then he hit a couple outside shots. I mean, his thirteen for thirteen did include all layups and slams, and um, you know, going to the basket, working with his back towards the basket, three feet away. Some of his shots that he made were three pointers. So, yeah, it was it was quite a remarkable uh, basketball game, and to beat Syracuse at number six team and beat him pretty soundly because of his presence. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun watching that guy's NBA. Career for sure. Were you surprised at how? I mean, would they lose like three games without him? Like, I, they're they're still a very good team, but they were they were not a national championship looking team uh, without him. I was I was a little surprised because their second best player is probably going to go number two in the draft. I was a little shocked about how poorly they played, but some of that might have been mental. I know Grand Canyon when they lost one of their guys and he wasn't their top guy, but he was a, a team leader. Mentally, they kind of went into a funk and lost three straight, and then they snapped out of it once they realized the guy. But this guy, our guy, was out for the year. But um, sometimes I think it might have been more mental. But I was shocked at 
how mortal they looked without him and how great they looked with him. It's one of the things that great players are able to do. If you look at the Michael Jordans, the LeBron James, the Kobe Bryants, the Shaquille O'Neal's, not only are they great players in and of themselves, but they make the players around them so much better. I mean, Michael Jordan made Scottie Pippen a better player. Not that he wasn't a great player to start with, but when Michael Jordan was out those, uh, was it two years or three years of baseball? Two years? One year? Two no. years, yep. Two years he was out of baseball? That uh, they, know they didn't make the playoffs. I mean, they made the playoffs, but they didn't win an NBA championship without Michael Jordan. It wasn't that right. Scottie Pippen wasn't great. He just... Michael Jordan had a, an ability to make all those around him better. You not only lost his ability on the court and his sole numbers on the court, basket, you know, I mean, points, rebounds, etc., but you lost all the other people that he made better. So I think when you got you lose a guy like Zion Williamson, maybe they're not double teaming down as much as they were. Right, he wasn't that's on a good court. point. And so all these other guys have a better ability to stand out and be better and be the players that they can be. So not only do you lose a great talent like Zion Williamson when he goes down, but you lose all those other guys uh, having less of a, of a double team, less of a one-on-one. But, yeah, it's going to be fun seeing him in the NBA, man. I think he's going to be around for oh. a while. He's going to be a player to be uh, regular. make an so. impact, too, Absolutely. right away. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. The Suns and the Mavericks are our favorite teams if they can take a man. Come on out to Phoenix, <laughs> baby. To Phoenix. That's right. Hey, when we come back, we're talking to Coach Ron Wolforth and Coach Mike Ryan, talking about Chaos 101, all things hitting on the other side of Docs and Jocks. This is the Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Dr. Dan and Ferris. Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. Great to have you be part of our show, our listening audience today. Hey, remember, you can follow us on iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, anytime, anywhere, if you're not one of our SB Nation national radio stations. Joined each week by my co-host Ferris Potter. Ferris is the longtime sports broadcaster for Grand Canyon University and Ferris. We are very honored to have on two good friends of Docs and Jocks, good friends of ours, Coach Mike Ryan, who is with Fastball USA, one of the premier hitting instructors in all the United States, as well as um, Ron Wolforth, who is the CEO and president of uh, Texas Baseball Ranch, one of the premier throwing athletes or throwing instructors in all the country. Hey, thanks for being on the show, guys. Thanks for having me. Pleasure being here. Hey, so uh, you just did a, a collaboration on a video called Chaos 101, and uh, I've just uh, ordered it. I haven't uh, been able to watch the whole thing yet. I watched the promo on Chaos 101, but it talks about a lot of constraints that can lead baseball or hitters uh, to not reach their full hitting development. So, uh, Coach Ryan, tell us about how the idea for Chaos 101 uh, came about with uh, Coach Wolforth. Well, first of all, I want to recognize how nice of Ron to be. Uh, he spent all these years helping pitchers. Yeah. And now how nice of him come over to the other side and try to help us hitters out a little bit. How there about that? That's you know, awesome, what a, what a yeah. nice guy Ron is. Yeah. <laughs> That's very, very true. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me first start with, uh, I really started seeing these concepts uh, developed at the Texas Baseball Ranch with Coach Wolforth as how he was developing with pitchers. And for years, um, I've been trying to follow and implement hitting stuff uh, very similar along the line to what the ranch has done uh, with pitching for years. And uh, hitting has always been my passion. And uh, this chaos stuff, as I started uh, recognizing it with the throwing side and what the ranch has really been cutting edge with, uh, I began doing a few years ago at the hitting side. And, and I've known Ron for many years, and, and we got together and thought this would be a great concept to turn uh, over to the hitters, uh, which is a really great concept. Yeah, so Ron, talk to us about that because you are known as the, the one of the premier, if not the premier, overhead throwing instructors in the country. 
Does what you take from uh, your knowledge of throwing, does it roll over into a lot, of, a lot of things that we have to do as hitters in the hitting area? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, uh, um, uh, kinematic sequences are, are and, and, and motor learning is, is the same thing. Um, hitting is actually a little bit more difficult to teach because it is an open skill, meaning that you never know where the ball is going to be, or the speed, the spin, whatever. Pitching is a closed skill. Uh, which means we're, we're in total control over it. So it, in that way, it's different. But as far as the movement patterns, as far as the um, summation of force, very, very similar. And I will say this to you, uh, Dan and Ferris, um, it was hard for me to, to help hitters. It, it, it really was. Uh, I got I got to admit it, my wife, um, uh, my wife said, look, uh, Ron, your son's a hitter. Come on. Uh, let's let's get it going a little bit. So my wife kind of prodded me into the dark side. So. <laughs> yeah, a former, a former college pitcher doing a hitting instruction video. That's pretty cool, actually. Hey, Ferris, you have a question for Ron and uh, Mike? Yeah, Mike, I'm just wondering, so so what was the idea around this video, and, and what does this video bring that might be a little different from some of the other videos out there? Well, Ferris, I, I want you to think about this. When most people start to have uh, – lumps or they start to have problems, okay, uh, what they, the normal reaction to most people is to correct those problems with mechanics, yeah. uh, with mechanical talk. And what chaos hitting does for, for somebody, it puts them in an environment in which changing the environment is actually what leads the corrections. Uh, it is basically, we call it a constraint-led approach to hitting development. So uh, in other words, say you're, you're struggling, you're a little bit early on the ball, and you're a little bit pulling off the ball. Uh, instead of getting somebody in the cage and talking about mechanics with it, we, we basically use an, basically a stimulus or changing the environment constantly in order to challenge the hitter to make the adjustment. So in a sense, uh, I like to call it problem solving. You're actually practicing problem solving, but in a sense you're letting the coach uh, guide the environment by changing the stimulus as opposed to getting in his head and constantly talking about mechanics, which, as I've talked to you guys before about, that, it, it actually leads to more mental issues when you start getting over-mechanical. Right. And I remember one of the things you talked about, uh, Coach Ryan, was being comfortable being uncomfortable. And that seems like in the video when I watch it and all the different things you're doing, you're kind of taking that concept and putting very practical uh, drills that make you begin to get comfortable being uncomfortable. That be Would that be correct? Yes, exactly right. And I like to refer to that as training on the edge because when you start becoming uncomfortable, when you start training in an uncomfortable environment, then as things uh, get a little bit easier, right, the game the game is chaos in itself, correct? So you're, you're trying to prepare these guys in practice for a more chaotic environment. That way uh, it gets, the game gets a little bit easier. What I find is most people practice in too comfortable of an environment. Everything is too easy, and then the game speeds up on them. So right. chaos hitting is challenging them slightly beyond their current ability level. Got it. Ferris? Hey, Ron, you mentioned it was it was tough for you. You had to get some coaxing from your wife to help out those uh, <laughs> those hitters. But what was a, what were a couple of things that you felt that you could bring as a pitching guy to help out hitters? Well, it, it, uh, what I see from not only uh, pitching guys but all everybody, uh, and it really doesn't matter if it's baseball or any other sport, what we call is a lot of practice – creates um, an, a, 
adapted athlete. And I'll say that again, an adapted athlete, meaning that here's the, here's the speeds, here's the things that are going on that, that uh, they're comfortable with, and that's inside their comfort zone. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to create an adaptable athlete, one that is able to problem solve in the middle uh, when the bullets are flying. And that is so important. So rather than getting, uh, when I look at hitter, how we are going to attack hitters, we don't attack them from a mechanical standpoint so much as we attack them from their habit. Their habit is to be under well, we're really going to help them be under. If their habit is to be over, we're going to help them be over. If they're if they're early, we're really going to help them be early. See how helpful we are, pitchers. This is what we're trying to do. <laughs> so, so that's basically what what I think we brought. Mike and I have been uh, good friends for ten years. Uh, it may even be longer than that, but we talk in this way. That is what we call a constraint-led approach. Hey, we're talking to Mike Ryan and uh, Ron Wolforth, who just came up with Chaos 101, one of the premier hitting videos out there. Hey, uh, talk to us a little bit, Mike. Uh, had to be very uh, nice. Both of you guys could talk about this point, but it had to be nice to see both of your sons who have gone through the Texas Baseball Ranch and Fastball USA, who are elite players in and of their own, uh, helping you with this video. You see uh, Garrett Wolforth talking on there, talking on the video. That had to be pretty nice to see your sons helping you to learn all the stuff that they've learned over the years and helping other people now. Yeah, that, that's actually pretty cool. As, as Ron has mentioned, I've known Ron for many years, and I've seen Garrett grow up uh, uh, in, in the process and the program, watch him develop, and, and Garrett is a high-caliber college athlete. And then watching my son, who's a high school player, uh, implement the same things, uh, he actually has also uh, followed and implemented uh, Ron's throwing program uh, quite as well. So to watch them develop and grow up in the in the young men and, and actually you know do this, they, they do an excellent job, and and I think it shows in the video. Hey, if someone wants to go ahead and uh, find out about Chaos One Hundred and One, how can they do that if they haven't been involved with Texas Baseball Ranch or Fastball USA? Is this open for everybody? How would they contact you to try and get the video? Uh, I, w- I would ha- I would direct them to uh, first of all either our website to contact us uh, at uh, Fastball USA or Texas Baseball Ranch and all of your information is on there uh, in terms of they can get together uh, by by email or phone. But I would go to TexasBaseballRanch.com or FastballUSA.com to get more information. Yeah, and uh, you know looking back, or, I mean looking forward, are you thinking now, uh, Ron, that you might have Mike Ryan do a pitching video with you to help out the pitchers now that you've helped out the hitters? <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, and, and now it's on national radio. Uh, Mike, the pressure's on, so um, <laughs> uh, turn about stuff out there play. Exactly, but, exactly. But you you guys, know, us, us hitters can go help the pitchers now. <laughs> but it really does work, I think, if you have a, a, a great hitting instructor and a great pitching instructor, you guys working together, because it really does bring both mindsets and tries to help players figure out both parts of it. Like you said, and, and, and uh, you guys can comment on this, I think hitting and pitching are so tied together, the movements they have to make and the things you're doing, that it really does probably help having both your great minds working on the video together. I really think a lot of the hitters, like if they looked at it from a pitcher standpoint, kind of yeah. like Ron explained, right. yeah. if they understand the battle of this guy's trying to get me out and how they're trying to get me out, it better prepares the hitter to have a plan and an idea uh, of how to go forward. And we always say awareness in itself is the cure. So this constraint-led approach is step one, is they have to become aware of what their strengths and weaknesses. And by understanding what the pitcher's trying to do to them, that kind of brings it all together. 
Right, exactly. Ferris, you have one last question for Mike and uh, Ron? Yeah, I would just uh, ask, ask you guys, um, you know, in our next, like, 30, 40 seconds, and Ron, you, you can take the lead on this one. What, what do you hope that uh, people who watch this video and young kids watching this video, what do you hope that they take away from this if there's one or two main things? That's a really good question, Ferris. We wanted to kind of change the, uh, the very dynamic, uh, what Mike said at the very onset. Let's not rush to mechanical fixes. Let's ru- rush to creating more robust uh, uh, vivid environments and let kids problem solve themselves. Exactly. Hey, I want to say thank you to both of you guys for coming on Docs and Jocks. And I also want to say thank you. I think if you are an outside observer and you're just a baseball fan and you watch Major League Baseball and college baseball these days, you're like, wow, there is a whole new caliber of player and athlete that is coming upon the Major League Baseball scene and college baseball scene. And I think it's a big part due to guys like Ron Wolf for the Texas Baseball Ranch and Mike Ryan with Fastball USA because you are taking instruction, whether it's hitting or pitching, and take it to a whole new level. So if you guys enjoy watching Major League Baseball out there who listen to Docs and Jocks, these are the guys you need to thank. You Also, if you have a young son or young daughter that wants to be better hitter or thrower, man, get them with the Texas Baseball Ranch or Fastball USA. Hey, guys, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Thanks a lot. All thanks right. for having us on, guys. This is the Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Dr. Dan and Ferris. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, I want to say thank you for being one of our great listeners here on Docs and Jocks each week. Hey, we also want to say thank you to our wonderful sponsors like ZoomBang, who uh, have picked Docs and Jocks to help them promote their, their product. Man, ZoomBang is a viscoelastic shear thickening polymer used for impact protection. At rest, ZoomBang is a soft and, uh, material that conforms to any shape. Upon impact, the material stiffens into a solid state, providing maximum protection, up to 80% energy absorption. You add that energy uh, when it gets impacted, and, uh, man, it becomes the material that saves you out there on a ball field, football field, baseball field, you name it. You can go to ZoomBang.com, Z-O-O-M-B-A-N-G.com, and check it out and see if it might be the right protection for you on the field or one of those you love to try and keep it protected. I want to say thank you to all our wonderful sponsors like ZoomBang. Hey, Ferris Potter, the uh, voice of Grand Canyon University, my longtime co-host. Ferris, I thought we would talk about a uh, injury, and I was going to see if maybe you've had this injury. I know I've never experienced it, but I thought maybe you had in the past. So Mavericks lose a close game, man. It was a buzzer beater to the number one team right now, the Denver Nuggets, who have Nikolai uh, Jokic is their uh, stud seven-footer. This guy's been doing all kinds of crazy stuff this year. He hits a near impossible shot at the at the uh, end of the game to put the uh, Nuggets over top of the Mavericks, ninety nine to ninety eight. But the problem was is that uh, Luka Doncic, the great star uh, player for the Mavericks, right before this, had a three point play where he's coming up, he jams it on the jams the ball, and he hits his wrist on the rim. He hits it so hard that he can't shoot a free throw correctly. He misses the free throw that would have put him up with the game winner. But it doesn't happen. He misses it. So then Jokic comes down and makes the shot and is the winner. So I'm just going to ask you, have you ever had that problem? I mean, do you have a problem when you bang your wrist on the rim so hard when you're jamming it that, it, that you can't shoot a free throw? I mean, surely that's happened to you. No. Back in high school, though, I used to bang my head on the rim a lot or the, or the bottom of the backboard. And yeah. I'd have that, that would be painful. So I had to really watch out for that. It is amazing when you see these guys doing the things they're doing. Remember when we used to watch the uh, slam dunk contest? And I believe one year, um, man, was it – I think it was Dominique Wilkins hit his head on the backboard, you know, stuff like yeah. that. You forget how athletically freakish these guys are as far as, as far as how high they get and sometimes hit their elbows on the rim, man. There was a guy 
it was Dominique or somebody. Somebody could take a quarter off the top of the backboard, which is like 13 feet or something like that. It was crazy. Yeah, I know. It was it, some of these guys are just insane. But yeah, that I'll tell you what though, that slam by Do- that was incredible. That the the jam that he yeah. made and got fouled to put them uh, to yeah. put them up before that shot. I mean, that was a great move in front of a couple guys. I thought the guy for the Nuggets, I forget his name, I thought he fouled the guy because he was banging with the shoulder. I thought he cleared out to get that right-handed hook shot. Oh, it was no still a pretty crazy yeah, shot. still but. a crazy shot that he made it. But, still uh, a great shot. But. And he's done it like three times this year where he's had some crazy nonsensical shot. They're good, man. The they are good. I mean, but Dallas is going to be good next year, too. Is Dirk coming back? Is yeah. he for sure? Well, he hasn't said he ever – he's never said he was retiring, by the way. It's just been the Dirk Nowitzki uh, farewell tour that the NBA should cited and the Mavericks decided to put on for him. He just said, hey, I, I think I can help these young guys for another year so yeah and they got luca and then they just traded for that other dude what's that uh, guy they traded for uh yeah they just got uh uh porzingis porzingis yeah. yeah they're gonna be pretty good next year yeah i mean yeah so i mean they could they, they're they're decent now they almost beat the best team in the uh, nba yeah. right now so yeah not doing too bad hey remember you can contact us by going to docsandjocks.com there there is an ask dr dan question uh you can just hit it Put your email in there. Send me your question. Ask Dr. Dan, and I'll try and read it on air if I can. And uh, we just had one from Jessica from Azel, Texas. She said, when I squat, I have pain in the front of my knees. What could be? What could it be from, and how can I avoid it and help it? So, Ferris, when you do squats, your knee is uh, compressing the structures in the front of your knee, up against the knee. So in the front of the knee, you have your kneecap. We call that your patella. You have the patella attaching down below that. That's your patellar tendon. And so one of the things to be really super careful about when you're squatting is you don't want your knee out in front of your foot or your ankle when you're squatting. It puts a tremendous amount of stress where your patella squeezes in against your femur. The other thing you want to be really, really careful of is if you are fatigued, you're tired, you've been doing heavy, heavy squats, and then you decide to go do lunges. Because if your hamstrings are tight, which they become tight because when you squat, that's an eccentric or pulling or stretching or elongation of the hamstring muscle while it's firing. That seems kind of counterintuitive, but muscle can fire while it's elongating. But that's what eccentric strengthening is. So your hamstring then becomes very tight. Well, when your hamstrings become tight, they attach in the back of your lower leg called your tibia, and they pull everything back which then pushes your kneecap into the front of your knee even tighter. So if you've done a lot of squats, heavy squatting, and you're really tight in your hamstrings, the last thing you want to do is go do a lot of deep knee bends, lunges, more squats, those kind of things, because you will irritate the undersurface of your kneecap. And when you do that, there are structures there. Not only is there cartilage underneath your kneecap that can get very irritated and worn out and give you you know, uh, divots in it, you can also uh, irritate the sl- sacs of fluid that live around your kneecap. You have one on the very front of your kneecap called your prepatellar bursa. You have one just below your kneecap called your infrapatellar bursa. There are bursas around the patellar tendon itself. All those little sacs of fluid that normally keep things moving nice and smooth when you're going up and down in a squat position, they become inflamed. We call that a bursitis, and they give you a tremendous amount of pain around the kneecap, like what Jessica from Azel is talking about. So couple things you can do to help it. Stretch your hamstrings, right? So you want to make sure you stretch your hamstrings so you're letting off the brakes when you're doing your squat. That's what hamstrings, when they get loosened or more flexible. So when you finish your workout, you might go do some dynamic stretching. That's where you lay on your back and do like straight leg scissor kicks up in the air. That would be stretching your hamstrings. You also uh, would want to avoid doing 
exercises that put you in a deep squat position, especially with weight where your knee either goes in front of your ankle or you're going in a deep squat position with a lot of heavy weight. So going way down with heavy, you know, overhead presses type things when you're doing a squat, that's not great on the front of your knee or kneecap. So those are a couple of things you can do that will help with front of the knee pain when you're doing squatting. Hope that helped uh, Jessica from Azel uh, with her question and with her with her problem with her knees. Have you ever experienced that, Ferris? Have you ever had front of the knee pain when you've been doing some of your exercise like P90X, which you do each week, each day? No, the, the knees have been pretty, pretty good. I was going to ask you, though, um, what do you think about, I mean, I, I, we always grew up, we, I always just did back squats. What do you think about front squats with the bar in front of you there and is it the same technique does it do you worry about the same things with the knee being over the ankles and that yeah. type of stuff it doesn't change your lower half front squat to back squat the one thing it does change when you do front squats it puts the weight slightly more anteriorly right so your your weight's more forward now so remember your lower back those there's those fancy little shock absorbers in your back called discs in your back that have to when they get too much weight put in the front it's like squeezing a jelly donut in the front right they can herniate it out the back it can give you tears out the back of that disc which are very very painful so if you're front squatting with weight in front I actually like front squats because that, that hurts my wrist when I do back squats. Just my shoulder mobility isn't great, and, and then I get my wrist back there, and it hurts my, my and it hurts the back of my neck. So I enjoy front squats. I don't think I, I can't do as much personally front squatting. So, but when I do it, I make sure that I keep my posture correct and I don't slightly lean forward. If I slightly lean forward, I'm putting a tremendous amount of load on my lower lumbar spine, which is going to in a very very common area. In fact, back pain, Ferris, that is more common than all the other musculoskeletal complaints put together. So when you're talking about the general population of areas they hurt at the back is. So be very, very careful. Anytime you forward load your spine, if you start feeling like it's too heavy and you're leaning forward with it, it's not the exercise for you. So that's my take on back squats, front squats. Do you, do you, but, but do you like um, squats with free weights better than like using like a leg press or a machine or something like that? Uh, it's... I like it when you more simulate life. So more simulate, it's, it's a closed exercise when you're doing it with a leg press. And it doesn't very often simulate life. That said, squats in general for me are a great exercise that I love doing because for me, squats don't simulate very many things I do in life. So I like using my body weight if I'm going to do something like, I, I do body weight squats. So I don't have to do, yeah. but I'm at a point in my career where me lifting heavy weight, trying to max out on things probably isn't in my best interest. I'm 50 years old. I want to stay up with my kids. And for me, doing heavy squats just doesn't do it. The other thing is I would recommend leg squats if you already have a back problem. Because it doesn't put any really? weight down through your back, right? If you're doing mm -hmm. open squats and you're putting weight down through your back, in other words, you're compressing the discs in your lower back by putting weight yeah, down yeah. through them. And now you're leaning slightly forward, and now you're doing squats. You're just oh, I see. For it. So you do the leg press, use the machine, that type of thing. Yeah. If I had a history of having back problems already, I would use yeah. leg press over open squats. That's yeah, I've read. I've, you know, some of those guys who live by the three big ones. You know, like doing the overhead yeah. press, bench right. press, squats. Yeah. The more the powerlifting. Some of the guys who you know their whole life is dedicated to. Hey, you should power lift more yeah. and that type of stuff. Which there's a lot of good, good positive things by doing deadlifts and squats and stuff. Um, but yeah, they talk about that a lot. That by doing Doing squats with free weights, you know, on the back, um, it actually simulates a lot more muscle groups than when you're laying down because you are using core. Yes, you have, you to, have to use your core to squat exactly. significant amounts of weight or else yeah. you are. You're just compressing all that weight on, down yep. down to your spine and, you yeah. know. Yeah, so, so you do. And if you're doing a squat correctly, you should feel totally engaged in your core. Like you should feel like you're locked in. We call it uh, you don't want to be loose in the cage when you're doing a squat, a power clean, any of those things. So when I mean that, when if you're listening to the audience and you don't know exactly what engaging your core is, go ahead and cough really loud right now. If you gave yourself a really hard cough, that feeling of that tightness that develops right before you cough, 
that's engaging your core. Your transversus abdominis is a hoop-like muscle on the inside of your abs, inside of your abdominal cavity that's, that squeezes together, that pushes your diaphragm up, that allows you to cough. So if you ever have to say, well, what does it feel like? Well, how should I feel when I'm getting ready to lift? And you should do this even when you bench press, when you do any lift. You should engage your core because it is your foundation of what all the pendulums work off of, your arms and legs. So you want to engage it as if you were getting ready to cough. Another way to think about it, Ferris, if you were laying flat on a table and you pushed your belly button down towards your spine, like someone had their hand under your lower back and you were pushing down against their hand, that's another way to feel like you engage your core. Some people have a hard time understanding what engaging your core means, especially if they're new to exercise, but that is one of the most important things. It is your starting point of where you need to work out from. Do you try to tell people to like focus on that, like while they're lifting, like to say, because it's interesting, Mm -hmm. a lot of people when they lift, they want to have the TV on or the the music and they want to kind of not think about what they're doing, just go through the motions, you know, and I remember reading Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, he he took drugs too, but (laughs) one of the things he said that when he would lift, he would focus as he would do a bicep curl or a squat, he would focus on his biceps and he would focus on them getting bigger and tightening them and the tension and things like that. And he, he honestly felt like his focus on the muscle he was working actually made his muscles grow and he could lift more weights that way. You know, there's, that's actually scientifically proven. And Arnold obviously did a lot of things right to get as big as he was. Yeah, he's a big guy. He's a smart guy, actually. <laughs> so there was a study. My wife's a sports psychologist. So we were, I was looking at a study with her, and there was a study done that looked at, took, took three groups. They took a group that did uh, no exercise, a group that did no active exercise, but thought through the exercise. In other words, they thought about curls. They thought about doing a leg press. This one's actually a leg curl. And then there was a group that actually did leg curls. Which one of those groups got stronger after doing six weeks, Bears? Is it the people that just thought about it? No. Or did no. it and the thought about it? The group that did it got bigger. Yeah, and thought about it, yeah. But the group that thought about it got stronger. The group that did nothing, they didn't get stronger. So there's something that tells your mind is 100% intricately connected to your neurovascular and, and musculoskeletal system. So, yes, something about focusing on the muscle does make it stronger. No question about it. So when you do your workout, don't just kind of use it as a vegetation time, but actually focus on when you're doing those workouts, the actual workout you're doing. Focus on your core, focus on your legs, focus on the muscles you're working. Couldn't say it any better. That's exactly what you need to be doing when you're working out. So, hey, when we come back, we're going to have our last segment here on our first first hour of Docs and Jocks. Hey, thanks for being part of our show. We'll be right back with Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. I've been reading a book titled Golf is Not a Game of Perfect by Dr. Bob Rotella. This is a really good book dealing with the mental side of golf, but it also has great insights that are valuable to any athlete. A quote from the book making a valuable point states, Attitude, self-perception, and motivation heavily influence success in life. People by and large become what they think about themselves. This is a great example of how important the mental side of sports is to the athlete. His self-belief and attitude can affect and permeate every area of his game. Athletes who are confident in their abilities and who they are are better equipped to deal with any adversity that comes their way. Having the belief that they will succeed will give the athlete a better mindset and help propel him to success. Here at the Edge Mental Strength Training, we work with athletes to develop a strong, positive mindset and self-belief. If you would like to learn more about this, you can contact us by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. This is the Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Dr. Dan and Ferris. 
Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. It's awesome having you back. Hey, uh, remember, if you're just catching our first hour, we are a two-hour show, but some of our SB Nation affiliated stations just carry our one-hour show. If you want to get the second hour of Docs and Jocks, just uh, go to iTunes Podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Love you having to be part of our show that way as well. Hey, Ferris, we just got a couple of minutes here, and I thought we could tell a story. I was I was watching a uh, game. This spring. I've been watching a lot of spring training. Baseball is just two weeks away from us. I always go to opening day with the Texas Rangers. I always love that uh, that time of the year. All our teams are in it. We had Don, uh, Tim Salmon and uh, Andy Stankwitz both talk about their time doing spring training and, and uh, how cool it is. But uh, I was watching the game. Uh, the Mets were playing the Astros, and it reminds me how quickly – People can get injured because there's a classic play at first base that happens all the time that is such a dangerous play. And this one was, luckily, nobody was hurt in this one. But if you want to see a WWE-type hit, a full-on collision of two grown men going full speed against each other, watch first baseman Pete Alonzo, who, by the way, is six foot four, 245 pounds. He catches a ball in front of first base as he's covering the bag, and it takes him into the base runner uh, Josh Reddick's path of the Astros and Josh Reddick who is going full speed at first base 100% comes to a complete stop and lands on his back I and mean, it is just a full on collision to the forearm to the face he goes down his head snaps back luckily nobody was hurt but that's one of the classic ways in baseball that uh, we see a lot of injuries happen is a guy on first base being led into the runner. I don't know, think there's any way you can stop that. I mean, it wasn't anything purposeful, but, man, it was, it was quite the uh, collision. Two grown men, six foot four, 245, stopping a full-on uh, Josh Reddick. It was, it was quite the blow. Yeah, that happens ever so often. And, and, yeah, when those throws trail into the runner, there's not much you can do about it because you got to go try to get the ball. That's your natural deal, and there's just not enough time for the guy to the guy to try to get around you. Um, and I'm amazed when they have those collisions, more more injuries don't happen. Yeah, so luckily uh, both Josh Reddick and uh, Pete Alonzo are both well. Hey, when we come back on our other side, our second hour here of Docs and Jocks, we're going to have on Justin Snow, former Super Bowl champion. Stay with us here on Docs and Jocks. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Awesome to have you joining us here on your sports medicine radio show. We're a sports entertainment show with a sports medicine niche. I'm longtime sports medicine physician, Dr. Dan Munson with Texas Sport and Spine. Man, I've been doing the uh, college, high school, professional level of uh, team physician thing for about 20, 25 years now. So awesome to have you join us. I am joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter, here in our first uh, our man we had on Ron Wolforth and Mike Ryan. If you've ever missed one of those interviews, like the ones we had with those guys talking about their hitting uh, instructional video called Chaos 101, you can go back and listen to our show by going to docsandjocks.com where it will be posted, or you can go to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. And uh, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris, quick, real quickly here in our first uh, short segment, Give us the update on Grand Canyon University and what they've been doing uh, right now. You're following them getting ready for March Madness. So, Yeah, uh, the uh, WAC tournament up in Vegas at the Orleans uh, won our first game uh, by nine points against Seattle U and then play uh, Friday night against uh, Utah Valley. And if you win that game, play in the championship game on Saturday, more than likely against uh, New Mexico State, although they'll have a tough go of it um, against UTRGV. 
Um, and then if, if you win on Saturday, you go to the, to the dance, the big dance. If not, probably playing in the CBI or the CIT uh, postseason tournament. Give us your uh, take uh, on uh, where Grand Canyon stands. Do they have a chance to make a March Madness? Would you say it's like 80%, 50%, 40%? Well, have you seen a play against uh, New Mexico State before? It was always a powerhouse. Yeah, we match up well against New Mexico State. But, you know, until somebody beats New Mexico State, they lost their first conference game January 3rd. They haven't lost since. They've won wow. 17 straight. So it's hard to say that we can beat them <laughs> when they've yeah. won 17 straight. We have the ability to do it, but that's a tall order. Man, what a fun time of the year if you're a college basketball fan to uh, be out there watching uh, March Madison. The tournaments are the fun time, too. I love the tournaments leading into March Madison. Obviously, then the big dance, once you get there, is awesome as well. But, yeah, so you think, uh, where is Grand Canyon right now with uh, how they're trending? I always say you want to be trending up as the season goes on, and are they where they need to be as far as injury-free and those kind of things? You know, we had a big injury, an ACL injury to Jared Martin, who are, who's our best player off the bench, best defender, and the, kind of the heart and soul of the team, the emotional leader. And so he's out for the year. That really staggered him. They kind of limped into the postseason, lost uh, two games in a row on the road. But, man, they turned it on the other night against Seattle U. Uh, Carlos Johnson went for 31 points, a new career high. And uh, he's a he's a fun, he's an old school player. He puts his head down and goes to the basket and dares oh. you to foul him. He made like eight of eight free throws too. So yeah. they're after that last game they're trending right, but I don't know if one game's a trend or not. <laughs> talk about a team that's limping. We're going to talk about it on the other side of this short commercial break here on Docs and Jocks. The Los Angeles Lakers and all their woes right now. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Buffalo Wild Wings, First Financial Bank, and MDI Abilene. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, sports medicine radio show. I am Dr. Dan, joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Hey, Ferris, I thought we'd uh, jump right in. Hey, you're watching a game right now as we're uh, doing the show here. Who are you watching and what's happening with uh, the great I'm watching LSU basketball. And you know, it's funny. You know how when, when a team's down, LSU's down by three. When a team's down and they inbound the ball, you know, and, they, and it's late in the game, that they let the ball bounce and they don't yes. pick it up because they don't want the clock to start. So this guy did that, and it rolled all the way across half court. And the guy defending him made a motion like he's going to grab it. And the guy reached down, but then he realized he wasn't going to grab it, so he didn't grab it. And then the defender jumped at the ball and dove at it and tied it up. And the ball goes back to Florida oh, because the guy, he let the ball yeah. roll too far. You know, the other thing you worry about when you let the ball roll that far, that's got to be a five-second violation, don't you think? I mean, can you really let it roll that long and not be an inbounds violation? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a 10-second violation. Once you oh, throw the ball seconds. in, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, but I've never seen them let the ball roll that far. Usually they pick it up like halfway to the midcourt, you know. It goes back past the free throw line or something. But, yeah, he let it roll all the way, and the guy dove in on it. And so uh, he tied the ball up. And I, I can't remember if it's – maybe LSU does have the ball. But Florida's up by three. So, yeah, LSU yeah. does have the ball. But Yeah, they're, a lot of, they're in a bind right now, too. Their basketball coach just got uh, – he was on – actually caught on tape talking about actually – paying players right to come to LSU yeah yeah I and I don't know if they I don't know that's Will Wade I don't know oh they just hit a three to tie it I don't know if um if he got suspended or not um but Will Wade yeah he got caught on tape and dude that I don't know if you've been following that man they have they have they have caught a lot of guys on tape hey speaking of catching guys how about the parents who are paying an outside entity Unreal. to then pay the school through a charitable organization who then the coaches of that school will take the parents kids who gave through that organization onto their team only then to be cut or 
let go once they get into the school. It's, in other words, ways it's in other words, it's a way around you getting your kid into the school. They use the sports programs to do so. So so bad. So everything wrong with uh, that. Scenario. Unreal. Unreal. It's unreal. I, I know. It's, and it's and it's not like Tennessee Tech or Northwest Louisiana. It's Stanford and Yale. Yeah. Like it's it's big time schools and. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a lot going on, and you know, poor Aunt, Aunt, Aunt Becky, you know, from uh, Full House, was paid upwards of 500 grand to get her kids into Stanford. It looks like. Oh, it's so crazy that they're doing. She that. had to surrender herself to the. Uh, she said to surrender herself to the authorities the other day. I know. Aunt Becky might be going to prison. <laughs> I know. And How then, crazy is that? You know, here it happened in Texas too. It was one of the schools named it. It was University of Texas, and I think they're actually uh, happy about it because they keep it named as one of the elite schools in the country. <laughs> so they, they do. They go elite school in country: Yale, Stanford, and Texas. UT. I mean, I mean, it's yeah. almost like you would you couldn't pay for that kind of publicity, right? I mean, it's actually for the school to be named, be called the elite school in the country. I mean, be lumped in with all those other ones. I mean, that's in a weird way. Probably UT doesn't mind that type of press. And it, I mean, I yeah. know they do, but it's also not probably a bad thing for the school. UT. Yeah, it looks like. LSU uh, did put uh, Will Wade, the, the head coach, on administrative leave. It's funny because he, he's saying now, he's like, why am I on leave? Like, nothing's been proven. It's still working through the court process, so I should be allowed to coach. Yeah. And it's kind of funny. It's like part of me is like he's probably thinking, like, yeah, I should be allowed to coach. Oh, Florida just hit a three with a second to go. It's going to be a big upset, eight beating one in the quarterfinals. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny because these guys are all so um, emboldened because nobody's ever done anything. And I, I find it hard to believe that these head coaches didn't know anything that was going on in their programs and weren't a part of it. And quite honestly, I find it hard to believe that any ADs and even school presidents didn't know what was going on. I and mean, we're talking about big-time donors writing a check to a coach of hundred to $500,000 to give to a family or to give to a handler so the player would come to you. Through the handler. A, a coach, yeah, yeah I mean – these ADs are tied in with these donors. These presidents are tied in with these donors. Maybe not the presidents as much, depending upon the institution. But you can't tell me Lynn Swan doesn't know this is going on at, at USC. And if he doesn't, he should be fired for not knowing it's going on. Yeah, it's just so bizarre. It's just so odd. It's, it, 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 I, you know, I know I've been in the college uh, sports uh, scholarship thing for the last few years because my son was recruited. So it's, 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 I know the scene, and it's, it can be seedy. I, I just don't like any of that, and I, I think it should be based on merits and how well they play if they get offered scholarship or not. And here we're talking about just getting into school, so heaven forbid, man, it's, you actually have to work your way in and, and do something great and be of excellence to get into school. You know, I know I don't want to talk about don't want to talk about this forever, but I mean, you're going through the baseball recruiting process. Is baseball as bad as, you know, it's weird. Football is the big money maker, so you'd think it would be the worst with recruiting, and I know there's a lot that goes on. But it's really basketball. Once they started going to UAA and then once they started all getting handlers, I mean, I was talking to our coaches here and they're like, Mike, it's changed over the last 10 years. It used to be we talked to the kid and the parent and maybe the high school coach. He goes, now it's like, oh, yes. you got to talk to Bob, who's my handler. Well, is Bob your uncle? Your He's nobody. He's just a guy who handles me. Yeah. You're, it's like you're 15. Oh, you don't yeah. need a handler. So baseball is exactly talking about the uh, AAU and baseball. It's a yeah, I'm sorry, AAU. Yeah, yeah, the select baseball programs that are out there, and they're they're exactly the same. So you play for a select baseball team, and that's who they talk to. They very rarely even talk. Some, I say rarely. They still talk to your high school coach, but they're going through your select travel baseball team, your national team, and that's who your kind of your handler is. So yes, when you ask me, is baseball and there's a big big money because there's all these organizations. I'm not going to name them all, but they. 
you pay these organizations, they promise that they will give you videos of your kid that they are then going to get seen in front of by college coaches. So there's all these organizations that say, we're the ones that are going to get your kids seen, and they you pay them money, they do the videos, they supposedly have all these coaches watching, and there's a lot of them, and they make a lot of money. So if you start doing the math when you go to these organizations and you see how many kids are signing up for these, quote, uh, you know, I'll get your kids seen by the right college coach, it's, it's absolutely stunning. Stunning. Yeah, it's crazy because I don't. Maybe the numbers are different, but for over the years, it was always no no NCAA men's basketball teams really made much money other than maybe the top seven or ten. It's always the football programs that made the money. So to think that they're funneling so much money to get recruits to a program that may or may not even be making money, and hardly any baseball teams, even the good ones, don't make money because it costs so much to run the programs, and you rarely get that much interest, and you don't get a lot of TV. Now, maybe that's changed with ESPN televising a lot of games and things, but it's just funny that so much money is flowing in from these these donors. They just want to have a national championship team, and so they'll donate hundreds of thousands of dollars, and these coaches are using them. I mean, Sean Miller's in big-time hot water down at U of A, you know, and the AD is standing behind him, and I, it's amazing to me. I, it's, it, it's sad because at the end of the day, a lot of kids just want to go keep playing sports, you know? Yeah, they just want yeah. to keep playing sports, and yep. they get drugged through this entire process, you know? Yeah, here's the difference. You and I played in the 80s. I never once had a baseball lesson. I never once did a prep program that uh, would get me seen in front of college coaches. Right. I just played as hard as I could on my high school baseball team. I kept my stats at a place that I got named to, you know, an, an all-conference, you know, all-state team. Then the school went through those lists, they would then call those kids. So then I get called by the school that I, where I want to go to. I, I call them. They've never seen me play. They asked for me, me to send my, my high school coaches information to them and any uh, newspaper clippings I had at the time. So I sent newspaper clippings, and my high school coach gave me a recommendation based on getting all conference and, and, and the accolades I got. I got, got a scholarship to go play baseball. But had never met my coaches. They had never seen me play in person. I had never done a practice, a hitting instruction, and I never went through any of the preparatory programs. How different is it now? It's, uh, uh, it's 360 degrees. 200, yeah, now you, at, as a parent and a kid, you almost feel like if you don't sign up for one of those programs, you're doing your kid a disservice. Yes. You know, it's almost like yes. a guilt you type get of thing. You into it. You're exactly right. Yeah. Oh, it and is it's, so true. It's, I mean, you can spend, I mean, I've, I know what you guys have spent on travel. Probably. I know what uh, my neighbor's daughter is a great softball player. And every weekend they're driving. I mean, unfortunately, yep. they're in Arizona, so a lot of their games are out in California and that type of thing. But they're spending thousands and thousands of dollars a month. Yep. You know, and yeah. you know, if they get a scholarship, maybe it maybe it pays off in the end financially. Maybe it doesn't. But yeah, you feel like a jerk if your kid <laughs> says, "I want to do this." You're like, "No, I don't want to pay the money," or you don't have the money. People are going in debt to do it. Yes, baseball is becoming a, a country club sport just because of that, because you have to spend so much money on traveling and hotels and travel and just debt all that kind of stuff so it is it is definitely a different world and in some ways a, a much harder much more difficult world for the uh, parents to navigate so yeah. hey, when we come up on our next segment here on docs and josh we'll be talking to super bowl champion 13-year nfl uh, football player in the nfl justin snow we'll be right back with that and more here on docs and jocks your sports medicine radio show see you on the other side
listening to Docs and Jocks. Brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you from inside Docs and Jocks Radio Studio, deep in the heart of Texas, joined each week by my co-host Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, we are honored to have on a good friend of Docs and Jocks, good friend of ours, Justin Snow. Justin is a former Super Bowl, not a former, he is a Super Bowl champion, played 13 years in the NFL as a long snapper, played his college football days at Baylor as a uh, tight end. Hey, uh, Justin, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Yeah, good to be back. It's been a while. That's right, man. So uh, tell us what is – so I hear that you're doing a, a training facility there in Indiana and you're going around the country and training uh, future long snappers and great football players and training athletes. Give us a little update on what you're doing. Well, so when I finished in 2012, um, you know, that next year I, I stayed active and ready for a phone call and, and, you know, finally had to hang up the cleats and, and kind of transition to a different role, and that's more of a coach. So, um, you know, with 13 years' experience and, and really feeling like you – make a lot of connections throughout the NFL and the platform that I was given, you know, I felt like, Hey, you know, let, let, let's move on to the younger generation and try to help them uh, become better long snappers because the transition go from college to the pros is uh, not an easy one in the sense of that uh, the blocking aspect is really introduced and um, you know, different schemes and whatnot. So um, it's just been something that, that, that I, you know, am, am, am able to, you know, travel the, the uh, country and also meet, you know, different guys and kind of hear their stories and just try to help any way I can. You know, your 13 years in the NFL, one of the uh, amazing stats is you yourself as a long snapper, your kicker, Mike Vanderjack with the uh, Indianapolis Colts, and your holder, Hunter Smith, are the uh, first snapper, holder, and kicker trio to ever go through the NFL history an entire season, including the playoffs, without missing a single field goal or point after attempt. That is quite a feat. You need to be proud of that one, huh? Yeah, you, you know, obviously that was back in the day before they backed the extra points up. So yeah. now, gosh, I mean, this year was was, uh, was such chaos with a lot of the great kickers missing extra points. So, but, no, that, that's definitely a record that we cherish and hold on to and, you know, something that they can't take away from us. And, and uh, yeah, definitely definitely like to uh, uh, remember. Absolutely. Paris, you have a question for Justin Snow? Yeah, Justin, you'd mentioned the the big difference moving from college to pro with the schemes and things. I mean, could you elaborate on that a little bit? I mean, what are the big difference? Is it just because everybody's bigger, faster, stronger, that type of thing? Definitely that. Um, but the college, most college programs run more of a spread punt, so there's really no blocking involved. You'll find a handful of teams in college that will, but you know, majority of snappers snap and cover, and the, you know. The blocking aspect from the pro-style punt is it's night and day different from the standpoint of, like you said, bigger, faster, stronger. The guys rushing you will either run through you because they're, you know, 6'5", 285, and can run a 4'5", <laughs> that you found out in the draft this year, in the uh, combine this year. Yes, I know, but also, But also guys that, you know, that, that are, you know, DBs or receivers that are quick and can run a 4'3". So it, it, it really... The blocking side of it is such an important part of what you do in the NFL as far as a long snapper goes. And, and a lot of these guys don't know the first thing. For instance, uh, the guy I'm training right now uh, went to IU, and he was invited to the Senior Bowl, and he was the only long snapper invited to the Combine. His name is Dan Godsell, um, a guy that, that you know, a- athletic guy, 6'3", 245, can run, but had never blocked. So that's completely foreign to him. So you have to train them with their footwork, 
with, you know, what foot to step with, you know, to, to not stand straight up, you know, to kind of have the leverage on these guys. Because let's be honest, they're coming from a three-point stance, and they're rushing ahead. So, I mean, there's, I mean, it's so complex from the standpoint of your guards, you know, on your punt team are really significant because they have to put a hand out to stop him because your head's going between your legs, and then you have to get back and block. So it really is a challenge, and a lot of these guys have never done it, and you're kind of thrown into the fire immediately. And we're talking to Super Bowl champion Justin Snow here on Docs and Jocks. And, Justin, you're training guys from all over the country that come in to see you to uh, train with you. Tell us about your training facility there in uh, Indiana and how people can become part of it. Yeah, no, so um, it's called Pro-X, um, and it is, uh, gosh, um, several former professional athletes in the baseball, football world. Those are the, you know, the athletes that we have on board currently. Uh, we've had, we have directors of pitching and hitting um, actually, one of them, you know, Rip Steiner, a guy that you played yeah. with that, that we spoke about. Uh, he's our he's our director of baseball, uh, as well as a guy named Billy Jones, director of hitting. Uh, Ty Neal, director of pitching. These guys have all been in um, World Series. Um, as far as Ty Neal goes, Billy Jones was the head coach of Oklahoma State and I believe Appalachian State. So we have a lot of knowledge and um, just guys that are hands-on to help the next generation, like I said, just to get better on the baseball side. On the football side, we have myself, a guy named Dan Muir, who was a defensive tackle for seven years, was a was starter of our second Super Bowl, um, who is the director of football. and, and I'm, So he and I are kind of tackling the football. Robert Mathis, uh, future Hall of Famer, just came on board uh, and is helping um, – guys with, you know, pass rush, defensive end, outside linebacker. So I could go on and on about the guys that, that are going to be involved, but we just kind of felt like, you know, helping this next generation, especially in this community, become better young men, better athletes um, is important. And, you know, as we know, I mean, the work ethic alone is, is something that we can hang our hat on. So Absolutely. Yeah, Ferris? Hey, Justin, how often um... – when, when you know professionally, when you're playing professionally, and, and nowadays, how much, how many reps do you guys get during the week? Your 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 long snapper, your holder, and your kicker, and then your long snapper and your your punter. You know, um, during the season, we will obviously Sunday's game day. Monday's the day that you come in and you watch film and you recover. You, you get a you know weight workout and run. You know, if you have an injury, you get your treatment. Tuesdays are day off. Wednesdays really are heavy. Wednesday, Thursdays are heavy workload. Those are the days you install the game plans. You come in early, and you get a jump start on, you know, exactly what the role that you'll have or the schemes that the team runs, and et cetera. And, you know, those are our long days, practice days, et cetera. We're on the field two, two and a half hours. Um, in that, as far as for me and a specialist side, those are the days that you are, you know, for us Wednesdays was field goal, kickoff, and punt. Um, so those for me would be my heavy work days, Thursdays, more of a, you know, you got your punt return, kick return, field goal block. So then I would have to service kind of as a scout team guy. And then Friday was a day where you come in, you throw everything. It's like a 40 minute period. You put all your special teams, you know, at the beginning of practice, and then you move into your offense defense. So, and then Saturdays was a walkthrough travel day and Sunday, of course, we're, you know, starting over game week, game day. As you for as a long snapper, does it matter to you? I mean, do you make it different based on who your punter is as far as where they like it? Do you try and hit one guy lower, one guy at the belt, one guy yeah. high based on what they like it? Do they all have a preference? 
Yeah, good question. So Hunter Smith is a guy that I had for nine years, my first nine nine, nine years. He, he's actually a grew up in Sherman, went to Notre Dame, um, Texas guy. But he was a probably a taller punter, six two, six three. Kind of stood with his shoulders back. Really liked the ball higher as opposed to low. Um, my next guy, Pat McAfee, had it for three years. He was more of kind of a hunched over guy who liked it more waist level, maybe at the knees. You know, and then my last year with Washington, Savroka, an Australian guy, six uh, five, just a monster guy, liked it higher as well because he stood more upright. So um, you really do have to kind of cater to those guys and, and kind of where they like it. And and of course, if they're right or left footed, you want to put it on that hip. And if you're directional punting, I mean, it, it's like, like I said, it's it, it's complicated. It, it doesn't seem to be, but yeah. it is. Yeah, absolutely, Ferris. Yeah, I'm always amazed, Justin. It, 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 the specialty special teams almost seem to be somewhat of an afterthought in a lot of, definitely in the fans' minds a lot of time. And sometimes when they're doing game planning and stuff, but then you hear guys like a Bill Belichick, and he's like, I think it's going to come down to special teams. And as the playoffs progress, it almost always invariably comes down to a field goal or a bad punt or a good punt or a good return or a bad return. It, it's amazing how impactful those specialties are, and some people don't even think of it that way. No, you're right. You know, the, the, the fans kind of use it as an, as an excuse to get up and, what, grab another beer or use the restroom or get some <laughs> right, concession right. stands, right? Yeah. So, yeah. The, the, obviously, I only got 8 to 12 snaps a game, so you don't know when they're going to come or how important the next snap or kick's going to be. But, I mean, changing field positions is huge. Um, like you said, like we discussed earlier, missing an extra point this year, there were several of them. Um, it really does impact a game from – Again, just the standpoint of those points at the end of the game come in so handy. I mean, now they've really changed every you know a lot of things with the kickoff and you know trying to take away concussions. And I completely get it because it was getting. I mean, it's like a train wreck every every time you you know you run down the field. You're we had a guy named Daryl Reed that would literally punish guys. He was a defensive tackle we spoke of who ran well. But he's, you know, 6'3", 285 and can run. And he's like running. It's like a Mack truck hitting you. Um, so I know I'm kind of got off on a tangent there, but no, (laughs) special teams is, is huge. And, and, you know, some coaches, obviously you got a guy like, um, Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, who's in, who's in, uh, you know, Baltimore, who's an an ex special teams coach, now the head coach. So, you know, he's probably puts a lot more emphasis than, than, than maybe some would. Yeah, in a strange way, Justin, maybe you can comment on this. You almost don't want your fan base knowing your name because as a long snapper, about the only time you ever get your name mentioned is if it, something goes wrong. So in a, in a weird yeah. way, the less they mention your name during the during the game or during the season, it means you're doing your job really, really well, which you did for 13 years in the NFL. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is a thankless job. Um, you know, one one reason, you know, that I, as a kid, I was a defensive end at Cooper and, and there at Baylor, and – you know, long snapping was not the cool job. It was something that you want your name called out on the, you know, on the PA for making a tackle or a sack or, you know, catching a touchdown. But in NFL, I mean, I took great pride for 13 years being a long snapper because, yeah. you know, obviously it paid really well. Um, and, you know, I was with some great, fantastic teams with a lot of future Hall of Famers on it. And, I mean, there's a lot of perks. So when I go into my training sessions now with these kids, you know, I really encourage them to play multiple positions. It makes you more valuable. You know, yeah. if you're somebody that can play offensively or defensively plus long snap, yep. your stock rises tremendously. That's right. And then also, if you're somebody that doesn't snap, you know, I like for instance, I was training this week just myself in the weight room, and there was a young man who came in to get some treatment. Uh, he was a pitcher for one of the local teams. 
And I immediately asked him, I said, hey, man, what, did you play football? And he said, yeah, I play center and, and um, a defensive tackle. I said, well, do you happen to snap? And he goes, well, I, matter of fact, I do. And I'm like, you know, so it was it was encouraging to hear that some of these guys do see the value in it. Well, well, Justin, what we do know, remember your name is in your hometown of Abilene, Texas, where you played for years. And I want to say thank you for coming on, Docs and Jocks. And we'll have to have you on again real soon when your next uh, your next uh, pupil goes on to win a Super Bowl like you did, man. Hey, thanks for being on, Docs and Jocks. Good talking to you guys. Take care. We're right back. More Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Sylvan Learning Center, Dr. Melton Chiropractic. Now, back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Awesome to have you join us today. Remember, if you have a question like uh, Jessica from Azel did today, you can send us your question at docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. And all you got to do is hit our contact or ask Dr. Dan button and submit your uh, question. And I'll get try and get an answer either on air or possibly uh, off air to you as regarding your sports medicine uh, injury or question you have or something you want us to talk about here on the show. Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. And Ferris, uh, good to talk to Justin Snow. 13 years in the NFL. I think if I was a young, budding football player who wanted to have a long career in the NFL, I would start at a young age practicing long snapping. That seems like a good way to go. That worked out well for him. Yes, it I, did. I is amazing all the technique he was talking about. I'm amazed at those guys because you do. You have your head down. You're looking between your legs. And you got a guy 300 pounds that's ready to just fire off at you. I know they put some rules in place to try to, you know, help those guys a little bit. But uh, that that seems like a very awkward and dangerous position to be in. <laughs> yeah, and he did it for 13 years. And he did it very well. I can't believe they went an entire season, the same holder, kicker, and long snapper, and they didn't miss a field goal or an extra point the entire season. That was the uh, that was their Super Bowl team that they had with the Indianapolis Colts. Didn't he like? Wasn't it the year before? Like they went like a long stretch, and then Vanderjet missed that game winner. Like, and they show Peyton Manning on the sideline going, "Oh, he missed it. He missed it." Oh, now that was you like had the to bring year before, just had or the year Jeff after. No, and now you talk about that one. I was just... No, no, it was a great snap <laughs> and a great hold. He just yeah. pulled it. That yeah. was all on the kicker, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those do happen, man. You can't. You can get the ball there to him, but it doesn't always go the way it wants. Yeah, like he said, we saw guys missing extra points because what is it now, like thirty yards or twenty-five yards or yeah, something like that? Yeah, and you and I commented on how that's such a big change. It doesn't seem like it would be, but it really now kind of makes a, a game changer. There's so many missed now. I mean, the, the percentage went up dramatically. Yeah, with so many being missed, I wonder if you don't see as more as more you know uh, stats come into the game. I wonder if you don't see more guys just going for two. Yeah, you know, I mean, if because. As long as you're if you're 50 percent on going for two over the course of the season, it evens out. Right. If you're anything over 50 percent, you're better off. Now, football is a hard one to average stats out over the season because it really is just one game at a time. I mean, that's baseball that works. But the one game at a time in football probably doesn't lend itself to that. But we'll see. I think it'd be fun if everybody had to go for two all the time. But we'll see how it goes. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, teams that are limping into the playoffs and limping out of the playoffs, right now we obviously know the Los Angeles Lakers have limped out of the playoffs. So we talked last week about uh, LeBron James and the groin injury he sustained around Christmas and the weight he gained, and then we came back. He was a step slower. They're now limiting his minutes that he's playing, so LeBron James is limiting his minutes. Lonzo Ball has now called it quits. After a grade three ankle sprain, uh, he's been out since January 19th versus Houston when he sprained his ankle so severely. And we'll talk about what grades an ankle sprain. He said he's going to sit out the remainder of the season. He's doing running on an underwater treadmill, so you're doing a low impact. Remember, water takes the impact off of the joint. 
so you're not uh, damaging the joint and you're getting the motion of the uh, running with the underwater treadmill. We used to have one of these in our, our clinic, my sports medicine clinic, and, uh, man, it was a lot of fun to run on it. I had a guy one time, he's a fireman, he ran out so hard and so long, he loved it, that he uh, blew the treads off the thing, man. He ended up replacing the tread on it. Really? <laughs> yeah, he loved it. He'd just go in there for hours and run this treadmill. Because you can run it, it doesn't pound your joints. So as long as you have the stamina run on it, you don't get the soreness or the stiffness or the achiness of the joints. And so he just ran right. nonstop. But Lonzo Ball is now called it quits. And so an ankle sprain, for those uh, who, who haven't heard me explain this before, the most typical one is a lateral ankle sprain. And a lateral ankle sprain is where you sprain the uh, ligaments that hold your fibula, the bone on the outside of your lower leg, to the bone on the outside of your ankle. And so... You have your anterior talofibular ligament. That's the one that runs from kind of the outside of the fibula down to the front of your foot. Then you have a, a calcaneofibular ligament, which runs straight down from the fibula onto your ankle. Then you have your posterior talofibular ligament. And there will be a test, Ferris, on this when we are finished because that's just the way I am. That's the way I roll. So, yeah, so. Post-tilogear phagalum <laughs> phalangealo yes. ligament. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> there are. Three ligaments in your ankle on the outside of your ankle. Test. And if you, if you stress the first one, your ATF, that's a grade one. If you stress the that's middle one, uh, this, that's a grade two. If you get all three of them, it's a grade three ankle sprain. And that's what he did. So it just means that he had a tremendous amount of stress when he rolled his ankle under that took all three ligaments and injured him. And so it takes longer. The, the, the higher the grade, the uh, worse the injury. And then you go into your high ankle sprains where you sprain it, where you sprain the ligament or the syndosmosis that holds the two bones in your lower leg together and holds it tightly. So that's even worse. So Yeah, that doesn't sound good at all. I mean, it's probably good to – I mean, it, it'd take him a while to come back from that anyways, and there's no point in trying to rush it, right? Yeah, not at this point in the season, I guess, other than you would say you need uh, Lonzo Ball and LeBron James and, uh, you know, Brandon Ingram. They need, all need to be playing in – sync and getting used to each other now none of them are really playing full-time and or not at all so the next injury that hit the uh, los angeles lakers is brandon ingram and this isn't an injury he actually had a sore shoulder area and he missed two games in a row and finally they found a deep venous thrombosis a clot in his upper extremity if you remember a dvt and a basketball player if that sounds slightly familiar that's what chris bosch had for the miami heat that ended his career remember the great chris bosch after yeah, uh, he was an all-star for all those years with LeBron and uh, Dwayne Wade winning the uh, NBA yeah. championships. He ended up having deep venous thrombosis. Now he had his in his lower extremities, but uh, he got put on blood thinner. But he continued to throw clots or DVTs. And uh, remember the big, big uh, danger of having a deep venous thrombosis. That means you have a clot in a venous system down in your veins, in your lower legs or arms. Is that if you were that clot were to move or dislodge? It eventually goes to your pulmonary system, and we call that a pulmonary embolism, and that is life-threatening, uh, to say the least. And if you have that, it is a very, very serious condition. So a deep venous thrombosis is bad in that it gives you some pain, swelling, the extremity, those types of things, but it is life-threatening if it breaks loose. So you typically, and I guarantee Brandon Ingram will be placed on some type of a blood thinner to mm -hmm. try and either uh, allow this clot, if it does break loose, that he's, it doesn't uh, cause him to have a pulmonary embolism. So... Yeah, that's scary. Um, are you surprised at the Lakers? I, I really honestly thought LeBron would come over there and they'd be one of the top four teams in the West just by him being there because he, he drugged those Cleveland teams that were just dreadful know, after him know, to the championships. And this has been a train wreck. Yeah, it has been. I don't know. It's, it's uh, In my mind, I thought he'd, they'd at least be 
competing for the sixth, seventh, eighth spot in the playoffs. That would be the worst. Yeah, minimum, right? There. Yeah, they'd make the playoffs, but they wouldn't win the championship. They haven't even been a playoff team since January. I mean, really. I mean, they've been one of the worst teams since they lost yeah. LeBron at Christmas. They all together, they've been the worst team. And when he came back, it just didn't pick up either. They didn't, weren't able to pick up any momentum and get going again. So, yeah, it's got to be a letdown. And so the, here's the question, too. LeBron coming to the Lakers made likely the free agents that would be coming out more likely to want to play with the Lakers. With them being so bad with LeBron, if you're, if you're uh, Anthony Davis, would that be a team that you'd be looking at going to, the Lakers, since they're so bad? I mean, you, everybody wants to go to a winner, right? But does, yeah. does LeBron being on the team outweigh the fact that they were so bad this year, I guess is the question I have. You know, I don't know. I mean, you know, with Kevin Durant coming out and saying people don't want to play with LeBron. I mean, other people saying stuff like that. I, I can't tell. I, I think at the end of the day, these guys are, you know, 100% all about themselves and whatever, whatever, wherever they can get the most money. I mean, I think that's probably where they're going to go for Davis and like Kyrie wants out and guys like that. But um, I'm just I'd be shocked if guys didn't want to come to play in L.A. But you know, I mean, when LeBron for a month was talking about trading his entire team to get Anthony Davis, <laughs> I mean, how would you feel? Every yeah. day you go to work and people are like, oh, Dr. Dan, he wants to trade you. It'd be like, yeah. oh, okay. And then then he doesn't work out. Then he comes and says, hey, guys, we need to really push down the stretch. He'd be like, screw you, dude. You want to trade me, you know? I mean, <laughs> I, know. I, I, I don't. I think they got some problems there. He doesn't respect the coach, it doesn't sound like. Uh, yeah, they got some problems there, and so it could be a real blemish on his career overall if he ends it next three or four years playing on a you know limp Laker team that never makes the playoffs. Yeah, I think it all started when he was injured and he was seen sitting up in the owner's booth with Magic Johnson and uh, who else was up there, the other uh, famous Laker. Was it Jerry West or who was it? Anyway, but uh, he was yeah, I'm up, not sure. He was sitting up in the booth with them in the owner's box watching the game. He was injured as opposed to being down on the, on the bench with his team. I think that's where it started. I mean, that's – once again, it comes down to injuries, and it comes down to perception in those injuries. And so the fact that he was uh, sitting up there chit-chatting with the owners during a game when he's injured, it just didn't have a good look to it, didn't have a good feel to it. You don't feel like suddenly now – because here's how it is. When you're an owner or you're in a management position, the people that work for you have a different view of you, whether you like it or not. You want to be one of the dudes if you're an owner in management? You want to be one of the dudes? You're not. They just look at you differently, right, because you control their purse strings. So when right. one of the dudes that you're playing with is sitting up with the management and with the ownership, when they're supposed to be sitting down with you, he now in your mind becomes a manager or an owner, you know, and it's a different view. So, yeah, do people want to play for LeBron or play with them? Maybe not if he's, like, in the owner-management part of that scenario. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I would have thought people did want to do that, but now, um, you know, they even when it was at Cleveland, he couldn't really get that many good players to come there and play with him there, and people said, oh, that's because it's Cleveland and Dan Gilbert and blah, blah, blah. Well, if you can't recruit guys to play for the L.A. Lakers, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Something going you on. got some problem. But, it, it look, it's LeBron. He's the best playing right now. I mean, I, it, it wouldn't surprise me if next year, you know, this is a bad year, and next year a bunch of people want to come play with them, and they reel off, you know, 60 wins, 65 wins, and they go to, you know, take it all the way. Because we're seeing a few chinks in the armor of Golden State. They've lost a few games here and there. And then, you know, with some of the guys that could possibly be leaving next year. 
So, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if he's not back fine next year. Yeah, you were asking me what I would say if uh, LeBron said, hey, I would trade the whole team to get Anthony Davis if I was one of the players on the Lakers. What it would probably make me say is if I had an ankle sprain, I'd probably say I don't want to play the remainder of the season like Lonzo Ball just did. Yeah. I mean, some of those guys probably wouldn't mind. I mean, Lonzo Ball was possibly going to get traded to the Suns as part of that deal. And, you know, I mean, the Suns are, are dreadful, but they got some good talent with Aiton and with Devin Booker. I mean, look at the, the Mavericks. Their record's dreadful, but they've got some great talent coming back, you know. Uh -huh. And they're really probably only a player or two away from being very competitive next year. Suns are kind of the same way. Yep. So I, some of those guys might want to get out, get up, out from under that shadow of LeBron because it's basically LeBron 24-7, you know, and that, that, that's kind of a pain. Sure is, yeah. So anyway, yeah, the Lakers have definitely been an, an interesting team, and now the injury bug hits them. So uh, the other team that has had an injury bug in Major League Baseball over the years with their pitching staff is the New York Mets. And uh, here's the list of the latest. And so now Drew Smith, their big uh, right-handed reliever who was played at Dallas Baptist University where he was a standout throw in the upper 90s in college throwing like 98 miles an hour in college. That's just crazy that we talk about stuff like that. Bears guys throwing 98 now. That never happened back in the day. I mean, rarely, rarely. If you were throwing 98, you weren't playing in college. You were in the Major League Baseball somewhere playing. Right. And now these guys are playing in college 98 miles an hour. Yeah. He had a 3.54 ERA last year for the Mets. He was throwing uh, upper 90s. Well, lo and behold, he ruptured his ulnar collateral ligament, the ligament on the inside of the elbow that's associated with the surgery. Uh, best known is the Tommy John surgery where they go and they do a uh, – they weave in a new – uh, a ligament to hold your uh, form to your upper arm so when you throw you don't have pain in that elbow and so he is now out so he will be out the entire year and so uh, man it's just another long list of Mets pitchers over the year I mean the list goes from Matt Harvey to Syndergaard I mean it, it's it's amazing and you makes you wonder and we've talked about this when you see a pitching staff that is con continually injured on one particular team, it starts making you think that maybe there's something they're doing, but you know, it also could just be really, really bad luck. Yeah, I mean, when does it become a trend and not bad luck? When do you have to really sit down? They probably have to take a look at their training, their off-season, their in-season training, their you know, their pre pre-throw routines, their post-pitching routines, um, all of that stuff. I mean, I think it's it's valid to look at when you have when you have consistently many people on your staff going through the same procedures and protocols getting hurt they, they might want to they might want to mix some things up or change some things yeah so we'll uh, we'll have to follow that story this year as the new york mets continue to you know go through the season and see if we see any other rash of uh, injuries to their pitchers because they've definitely had it over the last few years so hey stay tuned here with us we got one more segment here on docs and jocks your sports medicine radio show hey remember you can always follow us on docsandjocks.com d-o-x-n-j-o-x.com we'll be right back from your Docs and Jocks radio studio with, with your Sports Medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks. Jocks, brought to you in part by Abilene Sports Medicine, Hardin Simmons University, and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks here in our last segment of our second hour on your Sports Medicine Radio Show. Myself, Dr. Dan, and my co-host, Ferris Potter. Man, been an awesome show. Want to say thank you to all our wonderful guests, including Coach Mike Ryan, Coach Ron Wolforth, as well as uh, Super Bowl champion Justin Snow for being our guest this week. If you've ever missed one of our segments or one of our guests uh, we've had on, you want to go back and listen to it again, go to docsandjocks.com. Hey, we announced last week, and we're going to announce again in April, 
we are going to have on Rob O'Neill, the uh, shooter of Osama bin Laden, as well as the guy, the Navy SEAL of SEAL Team 6 that went and got a lone survivor, Marshall Sutrell, out of his situation, as well as the uh, guys that uh, were part of the team that got Captain Phillips uh, out of that uh, precarious situation of the Somalian Pirates. Talking about all the great athletes we have in the U.S. military. Pretty cool. Rob O'Neill coming inside the studios of Docs and Jocks. Huh, Ferris? Man, that's that's something that do it. I mean, everything you just uh, reeled off there. I mean, we talk about sports being war sometimes, and Battles. guys like that probably kind of laugh about I know, that. <laughs> I know, I know, you know they do. Yeah, it is not a battle. You're not going to war. I know you. Uh, we use those. Uh, what do they call those? Those uh, I don't know. Just saying. Uh, euphemisms. Euphemisms. Uh, yeah. yeah, but that is not what these guys are doing. And Rob I'm going O'Neill, to war with my boys. No, <laughs> yeah. we're going to war with our boys. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have Rob O'Neill coming. I believe that's uh, the April 18th. That weekend so that saturday after april 18th we'll have that airing here on docs and jocks he'll be in the studio with us which will be really really cool hey the uh, last of the sports medicine news i want to get this in real quick is that the yankees man the new york yankees have had a rash of injuries we've had the latest is Luis severino he is now out with rotator cuff soreness they think he's going to miss all of april mm. uh, we also have uh dd gregarious who, gregorius who uh, we knew was already out with tommy john surgery they expect him to be back with all-star break uh, Aaron Hicks is uh, back issues or outfielder. He may not start the season on the uh, on the on the roster as well as CC Sabathia, who on December 11th had angioplasty. I had his heart artery opened up, and uh, he's out with right knee surgery. So the guy that's coming in to fill in uh, for all the injured guys is Troy Tulowitzki, which is a little bit ironic given the fact that his whole career no. has been one injury after another. So that's an injured guy are. for an injured guy. He's finally healthy now. He's probably going to tear it up, and the Blue Jays fans are going to be totally angry because he <laughs> was hurt the entire, the entire time he was time up there. Was there. Yep, so but we want to say thank you to all our wonderful Docs and Jocks listeners, man. We can't uh, say how much we appreciate you guys and, and what you mean to us. If you will uh, help us continue to be one of the fastest-growing podcasts out there, we would love it. Go to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and, and subscribe to us, as well as follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter, man, at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. From myself, Dr. Dan Launch, as sports medicine physician, as well as my co-host, Ferris Potterman. You can catch him uh, with Grand Canyon University doing sports broadcasts, and we'll see you next week here on Docs and Jocks.